Hey there. How much does an undead elephant weigh? Let me ask that again. How much does an undead elephant weigh? A, a skeleton. Get it? See it? Yeah. Happy Halloween. So, uh, grace and peace to you all this morning. This is Captain Roger with the uh, Salvation Army Corps here in beautiful Grass Valley, California. Thank you for joining us for our Worship Online time. Um, I once did a sermon series called Bible Horror Stories, which I thought was wonderful. We looked at some of the most ugly and terrifying stories, some with supernatural undertones and others filled with psychological twists that beat any movie jump scare. Now, I... I still think that preaching the whole Bible, including the horror stories, is important and valuable, so I like to meet the harvest season and its associated ghost stories and horror movie releases and costumed ghouls head-on by revisiting or retelling one or more of these stories each year around this time. And not everyone agrees with me, though. Some people think it's too scary. Well, others have been raised to believe that Halloween is an evil holiday which celebrates Satan. Let me assure you that those of us who walk with Jesus have nothing to fear in any situation. When we trust in God, no human or inhuman fear can penetrate the shield of comfort that he wraps around our heart. Now, I do recognize that some of the images and activities which are celebrated by our culture during this season can be triggering or even unholy, so if you need to avoid them, please do. But the truth is we've infused Christmas, Easter, and every other holiday with the same spirit of Antichrist in our modern celebrations. And people of faith should always be careful to make sure that our choices model the love of Jesus in every action and choice. Now, Halloween, the truth is... It's the holiday with the deepest Christian roots, and it should be celebrated as such. In the early days of the church, <clears throat> persecution of the followers of Jesus was widespread. Thousands of people were killed for refusing to recant their faith. By the 4th century, church celebrations of those who had been martyred were held regularly to acknowledge their courage and trust in God. These were people who were aware that death was not the end and that resurrection was not only possible, but assured. They were models we can all aspire to emulate, but hopefully we'll never have to. Now, as time went on, a day was set aside to celebrate those honored saints, a day called All Hallowed's Day or Hallowmas. The day before became All Hallowed's Eve or Halloween. The customs celebrated on Halloween and Hallowmas in general come from a mix of traditions, some serious, some not, from pagan traditions and from Christian traditions, from traditions of Eastern faiths and folklore also, all mixed together and given meaning by the people who engaged in them. Celtic and European traditions both celebrated these times when they thought the wall between life and death thinned and the spirits of the dead were said to walk among the living and vice versa. And to avoid being frightened or bothered by the spirits, there was a tradition of dressing up like them. And I guess people don't think ghosts are very smart. They think that you could just you know, put on a, a white shirt and suddenly, oh, ghosts are like, oh, scary. Yeah, this evolved into groups of schoolchildren going house to house like carolers at Christmas time or mummers at New Year's. Trick or treating started as a way to kind of goad reluctant neighbors into being good sports about these unexpected visitors, and it became the $10 billion plus dollar a year candy industry blessing that it is now. 
holidays are part of our culture. And we can embrace what matters to us and release the rest to the wind and be happy, or we can be miserable and close our eyes to the good that can be found in them despite our misgivings. So today, we're going to look at one of my favorite Bible horror stories, one that might just rattle your bones when we dig into it. But before we begin our descent into the depths of the Word of God, let me tell you a different story. Way down east off the coast of Maine in the fishing village of Stonington is the famed Billings Boatyard, which for decades has cared for yachts of sail and motor for the likes of the Rockefellers and, and rumored to be of the Forbes as well. Uh, typical of such large yards, Billings has acres of buildings for storage and repair and acres of land where boats are stored high off the ground on stanchions, wrapped in plastic shrink wrap, out in the open, but still protected from the harsh weather and the salt air. Now, far away, in the furthermost corner of the yard, heaped around and uncared for, uncovered and exposed to the weather, are the derelicts. Rotting away, forgotten or abandoned by their owners, this is the boneyard. There are old wooden launches with one-lung motors that have been rusted solid, the weight of which, if they weren't set on gravel, would just burst through the rotten planking and hole the boats terribly. Ancient sailing yachts lie beached on their sides next to crumbling wooden lobster boats whose sweeping lines can still be seen, but whose practical use in this age of fiberglass is long over. And out among these decaying vessels lay a beetle cat. A small day sailor, it's uh, about 12 feet 6 inches long and 6 feet wide, with a mast placed forward as far as possible, gaff rigged, having a boom at the bottom of the sail and an additional wooden piece that runs across the top of the sail at an angle from the mast. Early last century, beetle cats were originally designed for teaching children how to sail, but adults quickly grew to love their stability, their seaworthiness, their easy handling, and their good looks. When in good condition... A beetle cat has these lovely sweeping lines, and it's a beauty to sail on the sea or to view from the shore. But this beetle cat was abandoned and in decay. It had ribs like broken bones, decking that had long disappeared, floorboards stripped away, and the rest of her was rotting. Her sail rigging lay tumbled around like long sticks in a pile on the ground, and there she sat, forgotten worthless, a mere skeleton, until someone wandering through the yard happened to see her. <gasps> a beetle cat. A glint of restoration hope gleamed in his eye. Could this beetle cat sail again? So this spirited recycler, he marches into the office to ask the owner how much he wants for the beetle cat. Uh, what beetle cat? came the reply. Uh, I didn't know we had one. Pretty stove up, is she? Well, I'll tell you what, you can have her for nothing if you holler out of here yourself. Well, the man did just that. And then with care, he rebuilt that boat, stem to stern, rib by broken rib, the bones that give her form and shape, he replaced one at a time. Then he built a new deck like a skin to enclose her. Where she'd been pinned by iron nails, he used stainless steel screws. Where her deck had been white pine, he used marine plywood. Her sail, which had been made of canvas, he replaced with nylon. Her punky rubber rudder was, was scraped clean and encased in fiberglass. 
And now she sits and bobs in the swells off Ocean Point. Her hull is bright red. She is altogether worthy of the sea and able in winds, fair and fierce. And her current captain sails her whenever he can. Uh, a boat that's been restored to grace and beauty, a boat that's admired by all who lay eyes on her for her lovely sweeping lines and handsome shape. An antique bucket of bones brought back to life using modern tools and supplies. And if you want to see this, just Google Beetle Cat Sailboat and look at some of the beautiful representations of these. Now, was she hopeless? Only to eyes with no vision. Was she a derelict? Only to those who couldn't see her potential or her past. Would she rise again? Surely, if the worker was willing to face the worst and do the work. So what one person might have thought of as a waste, worthy only to be buried or left aside to be forgotten, has, through necessity and ingenuity, been reworked and rebuilt, and that rotting beetle cat was renewed to sail the sea once again. Which brings us to one of the strangest stories of rebuilding in all of Scripture. We need to start with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest in Judah, born a little more than 600 years before Jesus. He encountered God in a vision of storms of fire and fearsome creatures where the Spirit of God filled him and sent him to preach to people he was told would not listen to him. For about five years he preached in Jerusalem, then for about 15 more he preached from exile in Babylon after that empire had crushed Judah. The nation had been broken the great city of Zion had been destroyed, and the people who had remained were taken prisoner and led away from their homeland to live lives of slavery to their conquerors. Then, towards the end of his life, Ezekiel had this encounter. And if you want to follow along, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to start right at verse 1. Ezekiel says, God grabbed me. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with bones. He led me around and among them, a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones bleached by the sun. Now, I should mention I'm reading from the message today because I prefer the language of story for this chapter compared to our usual, more academic-sounding translations. Uh, let me also say, there are divided opinions about this passage in the ancient traditions. Some of the sages believe this is a powerful vision that's sent to Ezekiel by God, while others believe that God literally picked the prophet up and brought him to a known place. And this second interpretation is interesting because when we read these verses in their original language, it's called the plain, which is a way of referring to a known place. And whether it's vision or physical reality, being there would have been difficult for Ezekiel because a priest was defiled by being near human remains. And being near so many is horrifying, and he must have just felt unclean. And we're told that he was led 
around and among the dead. In Hebrew, it's saviv, saviv, around and around. Divine compulsion to keep moving through this gruesome field of bones, climbing, circling, walking over and through, round and round, always moving, imagining what could have happened. Remembering the destruction of Jerusalem, the dead soldiers, the women crying and screaming for help which did not come, the children struck down where they stood, bodies left strewn and piled as the Babylonians destroyed the city and the people, taking the very few survivors into chains and dragging them into exile as slaves. And as those people were led out, Ezekiel among them, they could see the carrion birds landing among the dead, feeding, feeding, feeding until they were gorged and then coming back for more. And then those bodies were just left uncovered, unburied, defiled and defiling to rot and waste away in the hot Mediterranean sun until only the bones were left strewn in a layer across the plain of the valley outside the city, a valley with a place <laughs> I had a cavern down at one end. It was said to be an entrance to the underworld that was like a mouth waiting to consume the spirits of the dead on the day of judgment. And as Ezekiel went round and round, was he seeing the marks from the swords and clubs still evident on those stark dried bones? Were there teeth marks from the scavengers who gnawed at the flesh, chewed through the bone to get to the marrow, grinding away and scattering the remains so that the bodies were torn apart and scattered, no two bones left side by side? And eventually, while wandering around and around, God spoke. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Master God, only you know that. This was the concept of the afterlife that they had in those times. They believed that Sheol was the place of the dead. A dim, watery underworld where souls would go. They would be asleep more than awake. And some thought in that time... I'm sorry, that some in that time thought that God would eventually raise some up for judgment as to whether they should have some kind of further existence and the rest would, um, well, the rest would rest, as it were. So when God asks, can these bones live? The obvious answer is no. Ezekiel's answer, however, is one of faith. He knows God is bigger than our understanding. The Lord created the cosmos. What can we know about what is or isn't possible to the Lord? And then verse 4. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Dry bones, listen to the message of God. God the Master told the dry bones, Watch this, I'm bringing the breath of life to you, and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews to you, put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. You will come alive, and you will realize that I am God. <laughs> Pre preach to dead bones? That's crazy! But... 
it's not the craziest thing God has ever asked Ezekiel to do. Once, God told him to lie on one side without turning for 390 days for the sins of Israel, and then to flip over and lay on the other side for 40 days for the sins of Judah. And while he was doing this, he was to eat only this meager subsistence of bread and water, bread that's cooked on human excrement to represent how the people of God would be forced to eat defiled food while they were captive in foreign lands. No, no. Preaching to a field of bones was far from the craziest thing God had ever asked of him. So when God says, preach to the dead, Ezekiel preaches. It says, I prophesied just as I had been commanded. As I prophesied, there was a sound and, oh, rustling. The bones moved and came together bone to bone. How unnerving has this got to be? You don't go near dead bodies. You don't go near bones because you're a priest. It's defiling. And now you're in the middle of this field of them. And you have all these memories and all this history. And you start to preach the words that God gave you to preach. And you hear in the background, clack. And you're like, what was that? Clack, 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 clack. Clack, 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 then everywhere like machine gun fire, but around a man who had never heard anything like that. Clack, 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 clack. Seeing bones start to move, sliding, twisting, rolling, crawling across the ground towards one another, pulling together. Clack, clack, clack. I wonder if Ezekiel had stopped speaking, would the bones have stopped moving? Hmm. But God had said, preach, and so he preached. Until the skeletons had reassembled themselves, lying silent at last across the vast plain. Ezekiel, he wrote, I kept watching. Sinews formed, and then muscles on the bones, and then skin stretched over them. But they had no breath in them. So he watched the guts sprout and grow and then skin begin to crawl around the flesh of each like water spreading out when spilled on hard ground until all the bones were covered. And then an uncountable number of lifeless corpses surrounding this single living soul in the heart of this great valley where God had placed him. God said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Tell the breath. God the master says, Come from the four winds. Come, breath. Breathe on these slain bodies. Breathe life. And where our translation says, From the four winds, in Hebrew it says, From all around, from the whole earth. And breath, the word breath, is the Hebrew word ruach. It means breath or wind or spirit. God's spirit. In Genesis 2, God breathes life into the newly formed human. And here, he says, Spirit, breathe into the dead so they might live. Well, what does Ezekiel do with this? Well, next verse, he says, So I prophesied just as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came alive and they stood up on their feet, a huge army. 
and and by army it, what is meant here is a, a host it's not a military word in any sense it's just meant to indicate a lot of people back to the the scripture then god said to me son of man these bones are the whole house of israel listen to what they're saying our bones are dried up our hope is gone there is nothing left of us mm. Therefore, prophesy. Tell them, God the Master says, I'll dig up your graves and bring you out alive, O my people. Then I'll take you straight to the land of Israel. When I dig up graves and bring you out as my people, you'll realize that I am God. I will breathe my life into you and you'll live. Then I'll lead you straight back to your land and you will realize that I am God. I have said it and I'll do it. God's decree. Uh, like Israel, we may feel like we've become dry and wasted and all hope is lost. We all have those moments, right? Biblical scholar Catherine Fisterer-Darr describes it as a, a multitude of disconnected and thoroughly desiccated bones. How many of us have ever felt like that? Disconnected and desiccated. What a powerful description of lifelessness. We all know how that feels, don't we? We become disconnected from family or from friends, from God, and desiccated. We feel dried out, shriveled, shrunken. We know these bones. We've been there. But God, even when we feel like we're dead, God can bring us back. He doesn't say some of you will live or if you do enough of the right things, you will live. He simply says, you will live again. And he calls us his people when the people of Israel felt that their hope was dead in Babylon, the word of God was, you shall live. When Jesus Christ was rejected, reviled, flogged, and finally killed on a cross, the word of God was, you shall live. When the early church faced opposition and persecution from Jewish leaders and from Roman authorities, the word of God was, you shall live. When we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, the word of God is, you shall live. When we were stuck in a barren place, when we were at the end of our rope, when we had no place to go, when we were without hope, the word of God was and is, you shall live. Disconnected and desiccated, we hear God say, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. You might feel like that old beetle cat. You might feel stove in and desiccated and broken and worthless and lost, derelict, unknown. But God sees you and he wants to restore you to the glory you were made for. He wants to help you become the person you were made to be, replacing one board at a time if needed, until you can live again and sail free do you want to live 
I may not have an altar for you to come and physically pray at here, right? But wherever you are is a place of prayer if you choose to make it so. I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Lord God, we lie before you as piles of disconnected and desiccated bones in need of your animating presence. Bring us to life and use us as your agents to bring your life to others around us as well. Teach us to breathe in your spirit and exhale the way of Jesus into the world around us. Thank you, Lord, because what you have said you will do, you always do. Even rescuing us from whatever valley we've gotten ourselves lost in. Help us each to remember your love and care for us so that we will know how we are to behave towards those others you place in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and authority. Amen. Hey, one last thought before we end this time. Among the rabbis who believed that this story was an actual event and not a vision, it was said that those who had been raised made their way back from the valley to the city and the people of God, that they married and had children. In fact, one of these rabbis claimed to have proof left to him by his grandfather that he was a descendant of one who was raised up. Now, whether that happened or not, I cannot say, but certainly have been interesting, wouldn't it? This story... Ezekiel 37, this story reflects the point at which the Jewish faith began to believe in and profess the inevitable reality of a time when at least the righteous among the dead would be raised to a new life in the kingdom of God. Something to think on. Happy Halloween. Hey, remember, wherever you are, whoever you think you have become, you have nothing to fear because God is with you. You can't go anywhere God isn't already at. So go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you in the coming week. I'll see you next time.